0: Well, I just want to say again how nice it is, and uh, just to be back face to face, not being able to worship together for what I believe was non-week nine weeks was um, wow. It was frustrating and depressing, and but uh, you think about some people Christians around the world. That's all they have. There is no church. There is no fellowship, and uh, but it's good to be back. I want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your prayers for the church. Thank you for your prayers for each other. But don't stop praying now. We need to continue praying. It's probably going to be a long time before we're back to what we used to call normal. So let's keep praying. Let's keep encouraging each other. And, uh, And if you're able and you feel safe here coming to church, we look forward to seeing you every Sunday. Well, let me just say this, over the years I've discovered, that I've, I'm old, and so I've made a lot of discoveries over the years, but I've discovered one thing that um, you can think through this with me. There are different groups of people that use different words than people who are in other groups. Does that make sense? I mean, if you get a bunch of guys together and they're talking about one thing, and then you get a bunch of ladies together and they're talking about something else, and all of a sudden you realize the guys are talking about things that women don't even understand what they're talking about, and they, Women are talking about things, and they're using words that men don't understand. And... Make sense? We're all in those groups. I want to take you back in time. I want, to, I want you to go back, and I'm going to give you an example of this. It was January 14th, 2018. If you don't know where you were, I'm going to tell you where you were. January 14th, 2018, Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Go back with me to about 5.30 Sunday afternoon. NFL Playoff. The Vikings are playing the New Orleans Saints, okay? Now, we've been ahead that whole game, but all of a sudden now, we're behind 24 to 23, and there's 10 seconds left in the game. We've got the ball. We, as the Vikings, we've got the ball on our own 39-yard line, which means If you do the math, we've got to go 61 yards to score a touchdown, and we've only got 10 seconds left. Now, some people would say, well, we only need to go like 20 yards, and we can kick a field goal. Yeah, but to go 20 yards and then get a timeout or get out of bounds, and the clock is ticking, 10, 9, 8, 7. Case Keenan, the quarterback for the Vikings, gets the Vikings to huddle up, and he calls a play. Four words. Buffalo right, 7 heaven. 7 heaven. Now, I'm convinced, I am absolutely convinced, you could have the whole New Orleans defensive football team standing in the huddle with Case Keenum and the Vikings, and he says, Buffalo, right, seven, heaven. There's not a person on the New Orleans Saints that has any idea what he's even talking about. But the Vikings know, because the Vikings, like the Saints, like every other football team, we've got words we use that are secret words. They protect us from sharing with other people. They go to the line, Keenum gets the ball, and Diggs is flying as fast as he can fly down the right-hand side, and if you saw it on that Sunday afternoon, he throws. What amazes me when Keenum throws, and the clock is ticking, 10, 9, 8, Stefan Diggs catches that ball, and it looks to me like his feet are between two and three feet off the ground. I don't even know how anybody can jump that high, but he catches the ball. Now, Here's the deal. New Orleans has got a safety back there on the corner, Marcus Williams, and he's good. He probably hasn't missed a tackle all year, but he misses Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs runs into the end zone and scores the touchdown. It's the first game in NFL playoff history where the game ended with the winning team scoring a touchdown. Imagine the words they used in the huddle. Buffalo right, seven heaven. It's a phrase that the Vikings use, but all the other teams in the NFL have no... Now they know what it means, but prior to that Sunday, they had no idea. I think it's an example of how there are groups of people that use certain words that are different from words that other groups of people. Let me give you a couple, of other, let me give you a couple other examples. How about these words? Compensatory damages and punitive damages. What in the world? I've heard those words. What are they? Well, it has something to do with courts and lawyers and legal system, but most of us probably don't even know what those words mean. So but we don't use those words every day. Let me give you a couple other words. How about these words? Bear market, bull market, day trading. I've I've heard those words someplace. It has something to do with the stock market. I don't know exactly what it is, but if you're involved in the stock market, you know exactly what a bear market is and what a bull market is. Now, the same is true. You can come up with all kinds. Everybody's got their own words. Farmers have words that nobody else uses. Truck drivers have words. Military people, computer programmers, kindergarten teachers. We've all got words in our vocabulary that make sense to us. But sometimes those same words don't really make a whole lot of sense to people who are in other categories. But in addition to all those groups that I just named, I think we've got the same thing in church. I think, I think we use words in church that nobody outside of church has any idea what we're talking about. It's like we walk into this building and we put a different chip in our brain, and all of a sudden our vocabulary just changes. Not from bad to good, but it just changes. The words we use in here, we don't use those words out there. But here's the problem. Some of us do use those words out there. And I can tell you, the words out there that we use, they don't make sense to people who don't go to church. We've got to figure out how to share the love of Christ with people who are not in the habit of going to church. And we're not going to reach them with the love of the gospel of Jesus by using church words. We need to be sharp on that. Let me give you a list of some of these words that I think we use in church. How about this word? Righteousness. Now, those of you who are in our adult Sunday school class, you remember about, well, we were gone for nine weeks now. So let's go back 12 or 14 weeks ago. There's 20 or 25 adults in that class. And on that one particular Sunday, Jim, I know you'll remember this, on that one particular Sunday, we just took a survey and we asked the question, how long have you been going to church? You remember that? And I, and so we added this up, and the 25 people or whatever was in the room that day, we've been going to church for 685 years. Are you kidding me? We've been going to church for 685 years. Why well, you should be able to bring out Bible trivia, that board game, ask, me, ask anybody in the room any question. It takes that long. 685 years we've been going to church, the people in that Sunday school class. Now, if I ask somebody from that Sunday school class, you've got 10 seconds to tell me what righteousness means. What does it mean? Don't answer. Just think about it. We've been using words like that. Righteousness. Here's a couple, other, here's a couple of the, other of these church words. How about this word, sanctification? What does that mean? I've heard that. You know, I've heard that. Or what about, what about inerrancy? That is a good church word. Or infallibility. Or ecclesiology, you'd think in 685 years we could come up with a definition for ecclesiology as fast as you could write your name. How about soteriology? Or how about providence? And so all of a sudden as I'm thinking about this, and I had two weeks to think about this sermon because Trey did a great job of preaching last week. And maybe it's all my fault. Maybe we don't spend enough time thinking about these words and and so what do we do if we don't actually know what these words mean sometimes we know just enough to be dangerous out there and we use these words with people who have no idea we don't even know for sure what the word means ourselves. but i i think i think we sort of pretend we sort of pretend that just because people show up inside a building on sunday and it says church outside, that after 685 years, we all sort of know what these words mean. But I don't think that we do. But if if we walked through each word, we probably would all agree what they mean, but we just don't use these words. They're not on the tip of our tongue. So for our time this morning, I want us to look at one word. I want us to look at one word that is regularly used in churches, and I trust that this morning, after we've looked at this word, that we will have a much better understanding of what that word means and we may have a better understanding of how we can explain to somebody who's outside of church what the word means. And the word, we're only going to look at one word this morning, and the word is the gospel. Now, right away you're thinking, that's two words. We're only looking at the word gospel. Let me give you an example of how and when and why and where we use these words. And I think we've confused ourselves. And, and here's, here's part of my heart. If we don't, as people who go to church, if we don't have a grasp on what this word means, how can we ever expect people outside of church to understand what it means? So here's how how we use this word, not just at Crosspoint, but in all evangelical churches around the world. Here's how we use it. We sometimes refer to ourselves, and I've heard this here at Crosspoint, we sometimes refer to ourselves as people who believe the gospel, or we could say we believe in the gospel. Well, what is it? Do we believe the gospel or do we believe in the gospel? And, and is that the same thing or is that two different things? But what exactly is it that we believe? We call ourselves, and I've heard these words. In fact, I've used these words here, and over the last 30 years, I've used these words a lot. We call ourselves a, a gospel-preaching, gospel-teaching, gospel-believing church. Let me say that again. We call ourselves a gospel-preaching, gospel-teaching, gospel-believing church. But who's the we? And what exactly is it that we believe and do? Here's another one. This one's a head-scratcher. We call ourselves a gospel church. Would you agree? Say amen. We call ourselves a gospel church. Okay. There's other churches that call themselves full gospel churches. Wait a minute. We're a gospel church. They're a full gospel church. Now, just on the surface, what? okay, that means what? They've got more of the gospel than we've got? They're a full gospel church. We're only part of the gospel? Now, if it's confusing to us, think of the confusion those words cause to people who do not yet know and love Jesus, and they have no idea what the Bible says, and they drive by these buildings in Sioux Falls, and we're causing confusion. There are churches, here's another one, there are churches who from time to time have special meetings that are called gospel meetings or gospel services. In some churches, these special meetings last, they last for a week or two. It's every night, 7 o'clock, and they put up this this sandwich board sign out in front of their building, gospel meeting tonight, 7 p.m. Now imagine you're you're non-Christian. You drive by, that doesn't mean anything. I, I have no idea what that means. But yet, people put up those signs and they think that somehow that's going to bring in, you'd be, we'd be better off putting up a sign that says, free pizza, bring your family. Let's get acquainted. Because... We use these words, and I think sometimes we 're just pushing people away they if we have a hard time understanding a gospel meeting and a gospel service is that why is that any different than what we 're supposed to be doing on Sunday morning, week after week after week, and what makes those what makes those meetings that take place on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, night at seven any more special or important or more needed than what we do Sunday morning at ten thirty so When we use the word gospel, do we really understand what it means? Do we know what it means? Or has the word simply become one of those church words that we just pretend everybody that's in the building understands and knows what it means? So just to be sure, we're going to spend a few minutes this morning doing a quick review. The best place to understand what the gospel means is in the Bible. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 3.23. And for those of you who know all this, and this is just... uh, this is just a good memory reminder, then that's where we're going to go. For those of you who are new to this information, that's where we're going to go. Turn to Romans 3.23. We want to look at uh, three or four biblical principles this morning. And the first one, the principle, is we are all sinners. Say it with me. We are all sinners. Say it together. We are all sinners. We're all sinners. All sinners? I've never met a rational person anywhere who didn't agree that they were a sinner. Lying, cheating, stealing, gossiping, speeding, using the Lord's name in vain, laziness, whatever it is. I've never met, I've never met I'll, I'll clarify this, I've never met a rational person who didn't agree that they were a sinner. I met one guy one time that uh, he had other problems, but he didn't believe he'd ever sinned. Um, I think he was smoking something, and, and he thought he was sin-free. But everybody agrees that we're sinners. Here's what Romans 3.23, and follow along in your Bible, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me give you a, let me give you a little, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek. So let me give you a little lesson on Greek from Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Greek word for all, you want to know what it means? It means all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've got that? Go to the Old Testament. Turn to Isaiah 53, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Which says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all like sheep have gone astray. We all have gone astray. Now Romans in the New Testament is written in Greek. Isaiah in the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Let me give you a Hebrew lesson. The Hebrew literal meaning for the word all is all. Okay? So now you've been to seminary, you've studied Greek and Hebrew this morning. All means all. Turn with me one more place. Go to the last book in the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Boy, this is a verse that I've thought about many times. Revelation 4, 8. In my Bible it says each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And then it says this, day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I've actually wondered this. Eleven years, Nine years ago, my dad died. Two seconds after he took his last breath, he walked through the front door of heaven. Did he hear this? Day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I wonder, you know, when he walked through that front door, whatever that was, did you hear this when you entered heaven? It says, day and night they never stop saying. And so when my mom died last year, when she walked through the front door of heaven, Did she hear this? When your mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and family members and good friends, and we've all had these, when they die, Christians, people who put their faith in Christ, when they walk through the front door of heaven, do they hear this? And I'm saying yes. Because day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We are all sinners. We just discovered that in Romans 3 and in Isaiah 53. In case you needed to find some place to remind you, we are all sinners. And that means you and I have got a big problem. Because God is holy. We are sinners. And God is holy. And He cannot and He will not allow any sin to enter heaven. We've got a problem. Here's the point number two. The penalty for our sin is death. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every man and woman, boy or girl, over the age of... You know, I really don't know uh, how old kids are when they understand this. I'm not talking about accountability and having the ability to understand the gospel. I'm talking about how old are children. I've got two grandsons that are, they're both 12. And in the next couple of weeks, they're both going to be 13. I don't know if they understand what I'm about to ask or not. And then I've got two more grandkids that are both 10. And in a few more weeks, they're going to be 11. And then I've got a youngest granddaughter who's six, and then a few well, we got a lot of birthdays coming up in the next couple of weeks. She's gonna be seven. I'm wondering, at what age do you understand what the word wages means? For the wages, that's what my Bible says. For the wages of sin is death. At what age do children understand that wages are what we get because of what we've done. If I've got a paper out, my wages are determined by how many papers I can deliver. If I'm driving a truck, my wages are determined by how many miles I drive. If I'm working in a factory, my wages are determined by how many hours I put in at the factory. Wages are what we earn for doing whatever it is we do. And my Bible says the wages of sin is not heaven. The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we have earned, wages are what we earn for what we do. Because of our sin, we have earned spiritual death. Because of the sin in our life, We have earned an eternal home in hell, not heaven. Because of our sin, we have earned an eternal home in hell, separated from God forever. We hear people say, well, I deserve this. And I. you don't want, let me tell you, you don't want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. I deserve to spend an eternity in hell because of my sin. That's what I deserve. And without pointing fingers, I'll just say the whole world, All of you deserve the same thing. You know, if people say, well, I want to go to hell. That's where all my friends are. But you'll never know who's there. Complete darkness. There's no coffee shop. There's no... It's complete darkness. It's nothing but pain. The lake of fire never stops. You will never see who's there. But it's the wages—the wages of sin—that what we've earned. Everybody understands wages, right? It's what we've earned. Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death. But the, there's a second part of that. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is eternal life by definition. Okay, we've got wages over here. Now, let's talk about gifts. By definition, gifts are free, right? You don't earn gifts. You get gifts. We earn wages. We hope to receive gifts. We earn salaries. We earn bonuses, but we don't earn gifts. Gifts are free. For the wages of sin, what we've earned is death, but the gift, which we don't deserve, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If we're all sinners, and we are, and if the penalty for our sin is spiritual death and separation from a holy God, and it is, we're in a heap of trouble. We are in trouble as human beings. Let me say that again. If we're all sinners, and we are, and if the penalty for our sin is spiritual death and separation from a holy God, and it is, the penalty for our sin is being separated from God for all eternity, we're in a heap of trouble. Number three, Jesus paid the price for the debt of our sin. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not, let's understand this, not after we've made our feeble little attempts at trying to clean up the sin in our life. No, no, that isn't what it says. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because God loves us, He sent His only Son, Jesus, into the world to pay the full, final, and complete price for our sin with His death and shed blood on the cross. Hebrews 2.17, go there. Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, it says, He, for this reason, He had to be made like them. We're talking about Jesus. For this reason, He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that He might make atonement. There's another one of those church words Atonement, I know I heard that in Sunday school someplace, and my pastor talked about atonement, but give me an hour or two and I'll remember what it is. Let's see, atonement. I know that's a word we use at church. It says that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's that's one of those big 25-cent church words, and it means this. A sacrifice has been made for sin. It means Jesus is our atonement. He sacrificed Himself on the cross as the full, final, and complete price for all our sin. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation. Now, there's a word. There's a word. I'm not a better, but I would bet $100 or $1,000 that nobody ever uses that word outside of this building, propitiation. I've never used that word. Except in a sermon or a Sunday school class. Or, I mean, that what, I can't even hardly spell it, let alone say it. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation. If you think atonement is a 25-cent word, propitiation's got to be worth $1.25. That's big. Propitiation's a Bible word. It's similar to atonement. It means satisfaction. It means the price has been paid in full. Because God is a holy God. And he is. And because he is, he's absolutely holy, but there's about 16 or 18 attributes he has, and another one is justice. He's absolutely just. Because he's holy and because he's just, he cannot and will not allow any sin in heaven. So the only option is there has to be a satisfactory payment. Somebody's got to pay for our sin if we're going to get through the door. And that's Jesus. Now, you know, let me just take us down one little rabbit trail. I would like to stand here and tell you. I would like to stand here and tell you that every building like this that gathers people together on Sunday morning, I would like to tell you that every pastor in every building believes this, but they don't. They don't. There are some groups that gather together that don't believe Jesus paid the full price. They, If you ask, do you, do you believe that Jesus paid, died on the cross and shed his blood? Yes! Was there anything else I need to do? Yeah, there are. There's this, this, and this, and, and this. There are every, every group that gathers together on Sunday morning does not believe that Jesus paid the full price. And yet, to me, it's clear. The Bible is clear. Jesus is the atonement. He's the propitiation. You know, those of us who grew up in church, you'll remember this song, and I, you can be thankful I'm not going to sing this to you this morning. But let me give you the words, and I'll bet you remember this. It says, Jesus paid it all. Every church doesn't sing that song because some churches don't believe that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, repeat. Jesus paid it all. Now let me say this. In my opinion, the Bible's clear. So we've talked about what? Three aspects of the gospel. But understanding these three points and not only understanding them but even agreeing with them that doesn't make a person a Christian. It's got to be more than just head knowledge. At some point we need to not only agree but we need to agree and understand and believe who Jesus is. We need to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That He is the Son of God. That He is the Messiah the world has been waiting for. That He is the Savior of the world. When we talk about believing in Jesus, well, what do you believe? I mean, I, I think most people would believe there was a man named Jesus who walked the earth to Israel 2,000 years ago. History books talk about that. But he was more than just the man who showed up in Jerusalem. He is the Son of God, and he is the Savior, and he is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Number four, we need to believe and receive him. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The, the word receive there means deliberately and intentionally accept what's being offered. John 5.24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. So Jesus offered the full payment for our sin. But I want you to understand this. Just because Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood as the full payment for our sin, that doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven. It's only those of us who repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus. So I think I have a good idea of where the people here at Cross Point are. I have with their relationship with Christ. But I have no idea where the rest of the world is, and I have no idea where everybody is that's listening in on our Internet channel. But let me just say this, whether you're here or you're out there listening in, and you're not sure if you're, you don't even know whether you want to call yourself a Christian, I would just encourage you to have a conversation with God, and you don't need to be embarrassed about this whatsoever. Just tell God, admit to Him that you know you've sinned and you need to have your sin forgiven because you want to get to heaven. And you don't want your sin forgiven because you're going to try and live better. No, that is not, no. You want your sin forgiven because Jesus already paid the price for your sin when He shed His blood on the cross. And tell God that you believe that Jesus is who He said He is, that He is the Savior, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. And I just encourage you to have that conversation, whether you're here in Sioux Falls or wherever you're at. And once you have that conversation, then you become a Christian. It's nothing magical. It's, nothing, it's just a spiritual transformation. But make sure you're ready for what's going to happen if you're sincere about that because your life will change once the Holy Spirit enters our life and begins changing us from the inside out. Someday Jesus is coming back. Let me close with this. Someday Jesus is coming back to gather his family together, and he's going to bring us to heaven. But the only people going to heaven are the people who believe in Jesus. Let's close in a word of prayer. But, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Even though we haven't been here for nine weeks, I would guess we could stand here every Sunday for the rest of our lives and thank you for sending Jesus, and it would never be enough. It would never be enough just for us to stand here and tell you thank you for all you've done for us. And when you gave Jesus, your only Son, as the atonement for our sin, and Lord, you by, by your grace and kindness toward us, you accepted his blood as the full payment for all our sins so God thank you for doing that for us and i just pray that all of us would would have a moment where we remind ourselves of how important it is to be in a right relationship with jesus because jesus is the only way to heaven god i think about those people in our circles of influence and i think about extended family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and classmates who have who just don't understand the gospel and 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 it isn't that they've rejected it. They've never understood it to begin with. So, Lord, help us to look for opportunities to share the truth of the gospel with people who are lost and dying. Help us to be little lighthouses in the midst of a dark world. Lord, in the midst of this coronavirus, we ask that you'd continue to do what only you can do. You'd heal people who are sick. You'd comfort people who are hurting. You'd encourage people who are discouraged. Help us, Lord, to look for ways that we can help the world around us by being physically helpful and also offering spiritual help. And Lord God, we continue to pray as we've done before that you'd give wisdom to President Trump and to Governor Noam and to our mayor, Ten Haken. Lord, thank you for their leadership. Help us to be respectful of our leaders. Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together this morning and we ask that you would continue to care for us throughout the day and throughout the week until we can come back again next Sunday. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to